Seven Talk to Experts, a podcast where Grade Seven students talk to experts and find out a little bit more about their specialties. I am your host for this episode, Gavin, and I am a student at College Park School in Lloydminster, Alberta. Before we get into our expert for this episode, I just want to share a little bit about who we are and what we will be doing in our podcasts. We are a class of 25 Grade 7 students and non-traditional classroom setting where we are focusing on an experiential learning using STEAM approach. That's STEAM, which stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, Art, and Math. We want to answer that age-old question on why do we have to learn this by directly connecting what we, what we study inside the classroom with the world outside the school. For our podcast, students will be contacting an expert that they know in their lives. This person could be an expert on their profession or job or in what could traditionally be considered a hobby or an interest. So without further delay, I am pleased to introduce our expert for this episode, who is an expert on resource teaching, Lisa Forrest. Welcome. Hello, thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. Let's start by getting to know you. Please tell us about yourself. Well, I am married and I have three kids. And um, I'm a teacher, and I teach English and math and sports. Um, how many people were in your family growing up? Uh, what is your family like now? What do you do for fun? I'm now going to invite McKinley to ask her a question. Good. Hello, I'm McKinley. How long did you go to school for? Oh, dear. Okay, so I went to become a teacher, and that was four years. And then I went back for another master's, which I did in 10 months, the first master's. And that was in um, special education. So that's what I needed to become a resource teacher. And then I did go back one more year for another master's. Um, in Okay, thank you. Where did you live as a kid? What was that like? Okay, I lived on a farm at Arlington, Saskatchewan, and I went to um, school in Purdue, which is about um, 17 miles away. And so growing up on a farm, we had lots of cows, lots of horses, chickens, dogs, cats. And uh, so every day I'd have to do chores before I went to school. So 
that was different because not many kids nowadays have to go through channels and do all that fun stuff, but I did it. And then I got to get on the bus and I would ride the bus for about an hour. So we tried to pick up all the farm kids in our area. And I'd go to school and yeah, it was interesting. Did you guys ever ride the bus for that long before? What was school like for you when you were younger? Okay, so I started in the day at 9 o'clock, and we went to 3.30, and um, we didn't have quite as many subjects as we do nowadays. So there was a really big um, emphasis on English, on writing, and learning to read. So we would have school classes where we would spend learning to print, and then as we got to 3.30, you learn to handwrite, and that was a really big thing, learning to handwrite. And um, a lot of preference, not preference, but a lot of time was spent on math. And then as we got older, we had data science and social. So it wasn't quite as exciting as the STEAM project. <laughs> what do you remember about grade 7 specifically? Grade 7, okay. Well, my teacher was Mrs. McCubbing, and she was new to our town. Her husband had moved. Um, specifically for a teaching job, and her husband had um, got a job at our town hall. And um, so it was very strange to have a new teacher in town because most of the teachers always lived in town, so you grew up knowing everybody. So it was really cool that we got a brand new teacher that we didn't know about. Now, Mrs. McCubbin loved to dance, and her husband competed in free dancing competitions, so we spent a lot of time learning to dance. Which you think is kind of crazy, but it was actually very smart on her part when I look back. Because I don't know about you guys, but at that age, we didn't, as a girl, we didn't talk to boys very often. And we definitely didn't want to hold boys' hands when we were in heaven. So it got us to learn how to communicate with boys and girls and how to work as a team to learn to dance. So she would spend about 10 minutes every day teaching us some kind of dance move to learn to dance. And then at, after when she felt that we learned enough, we invited all of our parents for a square dance. And we would teach them how to square dance and then they'd watch us. So that was one thing I definitely remember about grade seven. Another thing that was really cool was in math, she liked to go outside for math mostly. So we'd have to take our rulers or tape measures. And I remember one day specifically that we have to measure shadows and by measuring the shadows, we have to try to figure out how tall something was. And to me, that was super interesting. Because as a kid in grade 7, I didn't know that you could figure out how tall something was by measuring the shadows. So that was super, super neat. I really, really remember that. Um, what else do I remember? Oh, um, something else that was really neat was she started us with penthouse. So she hooked up with another school in Saskatchewan and gave us all a pen pal friend. And we actually had to write real letters where we mailed them each to the post office. And so we, when we were done, we walked down to the post office, get a sound, buy it, and mail it. So that was pretty exciting to get mail and to also send mail because that was probably the first time that I had ever got mail from someone that wasn't Grandma or grandma. That's cool. <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit about being a resource teacher? 
how their own classroom in Saskatchewan. Instead, I help other classrooms. So my focus, my focus is um, in helping kids learn to read and write, but I also spend a lot of time working on behavior. Do you want me to elaborate more about that, or do you have more questions? Um, sure. Okay, so um, those of you in math, you are great, though, that and all that. So, and they want to interrupt you. So, I work with kindergarten, grade one, and grade two. And those little guys are tiny, but they're first time going to school often. So, some of them have no exposure to even learning their alphabet. So, we work on teaching the alphabet and all the sounds with letters. The sounds are more important. Right now, at your age, even it helps me at my age. 
So if you have a situation that's a little bit hard and you just want to yell and scream or get mad or walk away, so that's not really an appropriate behavior. Instead, you take a couple of deep breaths. When you take some deep breaths, it allows you to stay with the situation a little calmer. Maybe the deep breaths aren't enough, so maybe you need to move your head side to side, backwards, forwards, move it around so that you can get amygdala to work, which is part of your brain, that allows you to think clearly. Maybe that's still not enough, so maybe you need time to yourself. So I want to help the kids recognize when they need to maybe go sit in a corner, maybe curl up in a blanket on a cushy seat, or maybe they need to shake something to see something sparkle or smell something. Um, just something to take their mind off their frustration they're having right there. Does that make sense? Have you ever seen little kids come to school and run around and not know how to sit down? Like, you ever see kids in little kindergarten schools? They have some trouble trying to keep like grade seven girls, right? Or grade seven. Is that one next Yeah. Time? So I do a lot of work on behavior, on how to be in school, and what kind of behavior is acceptable for school. That's a big thing up. Thank you. Um, what does a typical day look like for you? Okay. So because I work with kindergarten, grade one and grade two, I often spend a little bit in grade one, like I, I time share it. So I usually start my day with kindergarten. And the reason I start my day with kindergarten is because those little guys come to school and they need to learn how to take off their jacket, hang it up, take off their shoes, put it in the locker, and then change their shoes to indoor shoes, and then they need to hang up their backpack. So what happens is if we actually don't teach that skill, the kids will just come in and throw their jackets in the way, wear, and drop their shoes on the floor, and their backpacks on the floor, but they won't put them away. So in kindergarten, you have to start teaching the basic ways to learn, right? So first thing is, how do we get prepared for class? So we take up all the things, come into the classroom. And then what do we do? Do we run around the classroom? No, right? So we have to teach them that when you come into the classroom, why don't you find a spot on the carpet and wait quietly for the teacher to start? And then I will actually just sit there quietly and I'll watch the teacher start the day because she'll start and say, like, good morning, everyone. How are you? And then Kids can often share a story because we often have sharing stories where they can talk about what happened the night before or what they'd like to do that day. And this is really important because in the schools that I work with, we have a large indigenous population. And a sharing circle is a very popular way and it's a cultural, cultural acceptable way for kids to warm up, to um, start start feeling good about themselves in a new situation, right? So we spend a lot of time in sharing circles. And then once the carpet time is done, we will break off into little groups. Some kids will go to this table, and that table, and that table. And then one table a teacher will work with, one table an EA will work with. As a, I think you guys have teacher assistants there too. Um, and then one table like I will work with. And so I will usually work with the alphabet sounds, counting, 
learning their colors, um, start uh, learning patterns. What I mean by that is like easy patterns, where it's red, yellow, red, yellow, and then I'll say to the students, if we have a pattern that goes red, yellow, red, yellow, and now I'm going to put red next, what color do you think is going to come next? What would you say, Kevin? Yellow. Of course. Um, did you work with kids like as a tutor or a coach when you were younger and what was that like? Two hours a 
Thursday morning, teaching preschool. And then I just had a parent supervise um, to support. So I taught like, between 11 and 12 little kids in preschool. And that is like the year of my life. I knew right then and there that I loved working with these little kids in preschool. And I knew that someday, whatever job I became, it would be working with young kids. I just love the young kids. I love that they want to learn and that they laugh, they cry, they giggle, they hug, and they high five. I love watching them learn. So that was my first experience working with little kids. When I graduated school, I actually um, started coaching um, at one level of the Saskatchewan volleyball team. And that was really exciting for me. I played lots of volleyball um, growing up and um, had fun with part of it. So that was very challenging to learn to start to teach older kids skills on how to be better volleyball players. So I learned a lot that year. That, I think I did it for two, maybe three years. That was a lot of teaching for me. Um, trying to figure out how to be better communicators. So those are some of my very beginning examples of why I want to work with kids. Okay, right, thank you. I am now going to invite Brett to ask his question. Hi, I'm Brett, and what's it like to work in your industry? Well, Brett, you know, our industry works with a lot of kids, but also we get to visit a lot of adults. So it's very important to me that I'm always telling parents how the kids are doing, but also talking to the parents to see what the parents would like me to help their kids with. So there's lots of communication that goes on, and it's a lot of fun. And you know my best part is when I work with the younger kids, I love getting to play with Play-Doh and color and paint. That's the best, don't you think? <laughs> but so I have a lot of fun with the kids. Thanks for asking, Brett. Thank you. Have there been times that you've felt discouraged as a resource teacher? What ha what made you keep going as a resource teacher? Which were called prep over there. 
So that was another um, interesting thing. So why I said that it was all the way to come to play here. My next teacher job when I moved back to Saskatchewan was in the community school where it was almost like 99% Indigenous students. So this was a poster shock to me because I had never worked with Indigenous students. Now this is really important to note because that meant that I was ignorant of culture. And um, I don't know if you guys studied this or not, but it is very important. It is super important to be mindful of how other people grow up, what their religions are, what their beliefs are, what their practices are. So for me, if I just came in and say, this is the way I do everything, you have to follow me, and it's not the way they learn or it's not the way they believe, that's wrong, that's not right. So for me, I had to ask a lot of questions, and I had to do a lot of learning that first year to understand um, how they felt about school and what I needed to learn to teach their kids. Now the first thing I learned, which ended up being the most crucial thing that I'm going to take away for the rest of my life in teaching, is most of my parents have went to residential schools. Do you guys learn about residential schools? Yep. Okay. So you know that there's a lot of trauma that is associated with residential schools. A lot of not so good things came out of that, and it's hard for a lot of parents because they have a lot of things happen that they may not want to talk about. So quite parents don't often see school as a safe place or a valuable place. So we have to work with the parents to try to help them understand that we want the best for their kids. I truly will give my heart and all my love to those kids to know that they're going to be safe. So we want the kids to know that when they come to school, they're safe. And they can talk to us, and they can ask us for help, and they can know that we're going to help them learn. So that meant I had to learn little things. Like, in the indigenous culture, a lot of the learning is in a circle. So when they believe in, like, fire, water, earth, and, um, oh, I'm forgetting the last one. Oh, no. Dang it, I'm sorry, Gavin. Um, that was, that's not going to be. But um, they believe a lot of things revolve around the circle. And also, what the circle means is if you sit in a circle, everyone is equal. Nobody is greater than the other. So our schools started teaching a lot of stuff in circles where we sit on the carpet in a circle. We may need to learn how to count in a circle. We learn how to do our ABCs in a circle. So we do a lot of stuff in a circle in the younger days. Um, and then a lot of indigenous cultures believe to learn from the land. This is a very big one. And this is new to me as well. I didn't know anything about learning from the land. So I had to learn from my family, and I had to learn from the elders that come in to teach us, right? That's a super big deal. Elders are so important. They're so valuable and so, so knowledgeable. So um, the elders started teaching us that go outside and start looking outside. What, what can you learn from things around you on the earth? Like what can you learn from trees or how animals behave or what birds do, you know? And then when you start looking around, you start 
with a very, very same journey for me, like very big. And I hope all you guys do that as for you too. And then um, a few years later, like maybe four or five years ago, we had a lot of kids come from Syria when Syria needed some help and they needed to bring refugees um, over really fast. We got quite a few in our school. Now this is another learning experience because guess what? The people from Syria had their culture as well. And it wasn't the same culture. So that means we had to ask a lot of questions from the parents there and help the kids. And a lot of them could speak English yet. But we learned that food was a big, big part of Syrian culture. So we started inviting parents in to teach our kids how to cook some food. So everything is a learning opportunity and you can see it as much. Now, does that make sense to you guys? <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us about an experience where you were unsure, but you chose to participate anyway and gave your best e best effort? Okay. Um, well, yes. Okay. This is this is what I learned to be absolutely important. When you're working with students that have experienced trauma, often the trauma is verbal abuse, which means that they need get yelled at, like that. So when they come to the school, if they hear kids yelling at school, or maybe the teachers speak in a loud voice, it sometimes is very really scary for them. So I learned that you have to have different ways that you help those kids. So one of the ways that I learned is that often you have to be quieter. You have to become calmer. You have to take time to take breaks and just sit in silence because some of the times it takes a few minutes just for the kids to process if they've been yelled at then it scares them all over again so not saying that kids yell at a lot at school but sometimes they do right sometimes kids get excited or someone takes their toy especially in younger grades sometimes the kids will yell back so you i have to learn how to relearn about how to work with kids with trauma um and then, uh, that's a really big thing, Devin. You know, I didn't have any trauma experiencing when I grew up. I, I didn't have any, actually. I, I grew up in a very calm home where my parents were very good to me and very kind to me that I um, didn't experience what these kids that are coming to school experience. So I had to do a lot of learning about trauma, a lot of learning. So that was very hard, Devin. You know what? I made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes. Um, for example, uh, I shouldn't just assume a kid wants to hold my hand. So often I would just reach down and grab kids' hands to walk with them to the gym. And I learned that that's not okay. You need to ask, hey, can I hold your hand too? Or do you want me to hold your hand? I have to give them the control to say yes or no, because maybe that scares them, right? And so I have to learn that there's a lot of ways you can't behave. For example, um, I didn't do this, but it was told to me that children from Asia don't let their head tap, so don't touch anyone on the head. And you know what? That's good to know because in kindergarten, sometimes we would play a game like Just Up Goose, where we want kids to learn to walk slowly and to pretend and act, right? Because having imagination is so important in the young grades. So that's the game that really wasn't safe to play with any of the kids from 
Asia in our class, right? So that's a lot of learning that I have to do. It's different with the younger grades, right? Because in the older grades, we might not hold your hands. But in the younger grades, we always can hold hands. So what else do you have for me? Yep. Um, in your opinion, what makes someone an expert? Do you consider yourself an expert? Oh, man. Um, what do you think failure has to do with success, and when did you fail, and how did it help you? Oh, I love that question. That's one, that is one of my favorite questions you've asked today. I think that failure is the only way that you can learn. I truthfully believe that. And I'm going to share one story with you that I learned from a great white teacher years ago that I worked with. She would ask the kids every single day, they weren't allowed to leave or the bus or outside until they did that. So she would line them up in a row early so that they didn't miss the bus, but she would say, what mistake did you make today? And at first, all the kids would say, like, no, I didn't make any mistakes. And she would say, oh, I'm sorry. I have failed you as a teacher. I will try harder tomorrow. And the kids would be like, what? What? This doesn't make sense. Why does she want us to fail? Why does she want us to make mistakes? And then, so then the next day, she would talk about mistakes are the way that we can learn. So if we just learn everything right off the bat, we'll never get better from it. So if you make a mistake, you will learn from that mistake. So for example, if you start putting your boot on the wrong foot and it's hurting, and the teacher says, hey, I noticed that you have your foot, your boots on the wrong feet. So what if we switch them to different feet? Then if they start learning that, they'll learn from their mistake that, hey, boots do feel better if we're on the right foot. And that's just a little example. But she would ask every single day. She never missed. 
And soon, the kids caught on. So all of them, I started hearing the kids say, Oh man, today, when I was reading, I said up instead of maybe put. And then we found him and he said, Oh, awesome. So you recognize that hook is still in the word up, but you mix it up how it goes. Good job. Way to go. I can't wait to see what you learn tomorrow. And then the next kid would go off. And so then the next kid would be like, hey, I learned how to tie my shoes today. Because I was mixing up how I put the loop through it. And she was like, good job. That's a great mistake to learn from. And then they go. So then the kids all started getting so excited to tell her what mistake they made. And soon some kids started saying, hey, I pushed my friend today. You know what? It, I learned that my friend was hurt when I did that. That wasn't very nice. So I'm just trying to be a better friend tomorrow. And she'd be like, you know what? Thank you for sharing that with me. And then she'd ask things like, did you tell your friend that you learned that mistake? Did you tell your friend you were sorry that you pushed them? And it gave opportunities for her to have some conversations about their mistakes. And so then, she, like sometimes some kids even would say, I took so-and-so's eraser. And she'd be like, okay, how did you feel about that? How did that person feel about that? So when the kids started sharing some of the mistakes they had, it opened up for the teacher to start having more conversations with the kids about what was right or wrong, about how they learned, what they could do better, what they'd be excited to learn tomorrow, and it made it have more conversations with the kids, and it made for them to start having learning with the parents. So when the parents would come in for parent-teacher conversations, the teacher would say to them, hey, tell your parents what mistake you made today. And the parents would be like, what, what, what mistake? And then the kids would go and show around, and it made the kids less nervous to talk to their parents during parent-teacher. So that was a really big thing I learned in school about failure. And I learned that it's more important to ask the kids what they learned from a mistake than what they learned from a success. Because if you think you're just the best all the time, you're not going to learn from anything. What are you going to learn? You already think you're the best. You already think you know it all. So it's most important to look at if you did something wrong, hmm. What am I going to change so that I can do it better? Does it mean I have to ask someone for help to, to do it better? Sure. It might mean you need to talk to your teacher, ask them different questions. Maybe your teacher doesn't know. So maybe it's an opportunity for you guys to research it on the internet. Or is there an expert that you consider in your school? Since you guys are learning about experts, that means that you might be able to go ask someone else in your school. Does the principal have and ask the help. So failure is super important. I love that question, Gavin. Like that's a very, very good question. Alright. Um I'm now going to invite Addison L to ask her question. Sure. Come on down, Addison. Um hi I'm Addie and what what inspired you to choose your job? Addie, I learned that I just love kids. I love them. Um the little ones. I love the stories they tell. I love how they sing, how their grandma's big grand. I love how they talk. And I knew that it made me feel good to be around kids. 
And you know what? So I specialize in little kids because guess what? Kids already scare me. <laughs> I am so scared to be around you guys because I don't know what I can teach you. I don't know if I want that information. And you guys are so awesome. You guys always have the best questions. And I find kids your age just want to learn so much and more. So it always scares me to see kids over my way. True story. <laughs> Do you guys have fun with your teachers? You little yes. No. Yeah. Yeah. Who said no? Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, Rainer. Okay, thank you. Bye. Um, tell us about someone who you looked up to when you were younger. Oh, that's an easy question. Two teachers. I looked up to um, my grade two teacher, Mrs. Hyman. And I looked up to my grade three teacher, and that was, and she was actually a resource teacher, so she was a part-time resource teacher, part-time grade three teacher. And her name was Ms. Dutcher. And I'll tell you a little something funny. I am friends with them to this day on Facebook. And every week they are still in contact, and they ask me how teaching is going, and they ask how the little kids are, and they give me help. And um, to this day, when I've had some scenarios that are difficult, and tough, they're the experts I will do. They're both retired, and I will still reach out to them, and I'll be like, hey, this happened to me today, and I don't think I approached it well. Do you have any suggestions how I could go back and redo this, or be different next time the situation comes up? And both of them, still to this day, give me great advice. Now, that being said, I also have two mentors in university that I can go to. And they also give great advice, different types of advice. So it's more full-beaded. And how can I be better as a person? How can I be more worldly and accepting of all? So it's different types of advice. But you want to know the best part? In grade two, my Miss Tynick, whenever we got things right, she would put those scratch and sniff smelly stickers on our work. So I love getting my work right and working hard so that I can go get a scratch and smell sticker. <laughs> Is that silly or what? Hi. Um, I'm now going to open the mic to the floor. Sure. My name is Liam, and if you were a classroom teacher, what grade would you want to teach? Okay, Liam, so I was a classroom teacher once before I got my special ed, and I taught grade one, two, and three. And I loved it. I loved the great thing class you. It was new for me because I always worked with the little tiny sis. And I had a long learning happen because it was the first time that the kids could write whole sentences and read bigger books. So I think I would go back to grade three. Okay. Does that your question? Yes. Okay. Bye. Thanks, Liam. Bye. Um. Hello. I'm Breton, hello. and I was wondering. Hello. What's the difference between a special ed teacher and a resource teacher? Oh, you know what? I think a special ed teacher and resource teacher are the exact same thing. Just depending on where you live, you might have a different title to it. Um, I'm not 100% positive, but I know that sometimes my job is also called, um, I think, student services. Um, what else have I heard it called? Resource. Teacher, special ed, um, oh man, I have to think. But I think it has a few different jobs depending on 
Okay. ESTs. ESTs is what we call them. Education support teacher. Education support teacher. Got it. Yeah, that would be me too. Okay, cool. You taught me something new today. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Aiden, and is it harder to um, teach students with mental and disorders and illnesses? You know what? Man, that's a really good question. Thank you for approaching that. I find that nowadays it's becoming more prevalent, which means that we're hearing about it more, right? So I think before kids still have these issues, but they kept it quiet. And I don't think that's right because it's okay if you have struggles. It's okay. Everybody has struggles. Everybody has different types of struggles. So what that means for me as a teacher is I have to get to know the person first because it's not fair or my right just to ask someone what their struggles are. It is important for them to know and get to know me and understand that I truly want to learn about them. I want to become their friend. I want them to know they're safe. And then once they feel that they are safe with me, then it's only fair for me to talk to them about mental troubles, which would mean that because I teach such little kids, they may not always have the language to express what's going on with them. So they might just say things like, my head hurts, or I feel sad, I mean sad. And so instead, I might ask questions like, do you want to talk to me about why you're sad? Or when does your head start hurting? Do you, do you, and they may say something silly, not silly, I should say silly, that was horrible. Something like, I was saying, my head on the wall. And now, here's some a little great to use this object. So then I'm like, oh, why were you banging your head on the wall? Does it hurt? And they're like, yes. And then, so then we start finding out that when they don't know how to solve the situation, oftentimes, kids might do something to hurt themselves to take the pain away. So then, once that happens, then you can start having the conversation and say, because I bring up the head banging, because that is what kids in my age tend to do. Head banging is very popular when they can't solve something. So then I start saying, hey, you know what? Instead of banging your head, do you think I can give you silly putty? And you know what? I have silly putty right here. So, Let's bring it up. So, am I showing you this? I might give them some silly putty and say, hey, guess what? Next time you feel like banging your head, why don't you squish this in your hand and try to squish it as hard as you can squish it? And you will try to have some power over the, over the silly putty. Once we can start helping them find these different ways to cope, then we can have some conversations. And then kids might say, I'm mad today because I didn't have breakfast. Those are situations that I can start helping them with. And I'll be like, hey, what's going on in my office? I have a whole bowl of fruit in my office. And every single day, every kid that ever has worked with me knows that they can come ask me for food. I always have a fruit basket or some vegetables, carrots, and celery and stuff. I always have that in my office for them. Always, 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 that they can 
come out to her that. And um, then we can start talking about feelings because it's important to talk about your feelings. No matter what grade you're in, it's important. So if you're in grade seven and you're having trouble, you know what? It's important to talk to someone that you feel safe with. And guess what? Like, I'll bring up my daughter, for example. My daughter's teacher this year isn't her favorite teacher. And you know what? That's okay. But her teacher that she has last year is her favorite. She loves her. So I tell my daughter, hey, if you ever have trouble or want to discuss something with her, go discuss it with your teacher from last year. And you know what? I'll share something with you right now. Um, I currently have stage four cancer, so um, I'm in the hospital right now. So I can show you guys if you want to see. I'm in a hospital room, so like there's my hospital bed, and it's kind of like a small room, and I have a seat by the window that I can look outside. But for right now, for my family, it is hard on my kids um, that I'm in the hospital, right? So I need my kids to have these hard conversations with people they feel safe with, and someone they feel safe with might be a relative, it might be a best friend, it might be a neighbor. Oftentimes, my kids will go to the next room but they feel very safe with them. Or it might be a teacher that they have from a previous school. My oldest son is graduating. He's in university in engineering already. He's went back to his high school to talk to his old teachers before. So, you know what? Thank you for asking me that question because it's something I have to deal with right now with my family. And you as, as kids, it's hard to be a teenager. It's hard to go to school. You guys have a lot more difficulty than I ever had as a kid. So please, please know that as kids your grade, you can find someone to talk to about these issues. So thank you for asking that question. It was a fantastic question. Thank you. You're welcome, and thank you for answering my question. Okay. Hi. And well, how has COVID affected your job? Well, COVID affected my job because I'm sick. And because I'm sick, uh, it means that I have a low immunity. So I actually changed my job to where I became teaching online. I don't know if that happened in your guys' school, but in our school, we ended up having a school that had over 2,400 kids. In it because 2,400 kids which chose to go online. So I became an online resource teacher, which meant I can work from anywhere. Like I can work from the hospital, I can work from my home, just as long as I have uh, ability to talk to kids on a screen. So that's what I became as an online teacher. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Hello, I'm Jackson, and um, if you weren't a resource teacher, what do you think you'd be doing? Oh, man. That's a really good question, too. Um, well, I always thought that if I did become a teacher, I might become a lawyer. So I think I, that would be a job. I like learning. I like going to university. So that would be a lot of learning to be a lawyer. Okay, thank you. Does that answer your question? Yes. Um, hello, it's Breton again, and I was wondering, or, yeah, 
Um, you said that you had one school that was mostly white, and you said that you yeah. had one school that was mostly indigenous. How do you think that we could get more schools with like an even mixture of both cultures? I guess. Oh, great question! Wow, that's a really great question. Well, you know what? It comes back to demographics of the city often, right? So, I don't know about what you guys, but in Saskatoon, we tend to go to the closest school that we live by. And either you have a choice of the public school system, which I teach in, or the Catholic school system. Now, in Saskatoon, we do have a couple other school systems. We have a, a private Christian school, which you have to pay for. We have a private Jewish school um, that you have to pay for. A private um, Arabic school, and I and also, again, you have to pay for it. And we have a private Asian school. So unless you're paying money to go to those private schools, you usually choose Catholic or public. Now, why I think it's hard to have even amounts, which I think it should, I often think it should, is because of where people choose to live. In our city, we have areas of the city that are more expensive. We have areas that are to work more expensive. So we have some areas that are rental income, and we have some areas that people buy their houses. So I think that the only way that we're going to see more equal in the school systems is if we can get our housing to be more equal across the city, which means in areas that we have housing that people buy, we also need to have housing that is rental housing. So that means we need to give more opportunities to people to be able to have more choices of where they want to live. And I think housing is the biggest, it's the biggest, um, sorry, it's the biggest reason why I think we don't have people places. Do you have any suggestions on how we can make it more equal? I don't. I couldn't really think of anything, or I can't really think no, of anything. No, it's a hard one, isn't it? It's a hard answer. It is. You know what? I think if we were more equal with having all the people that we have, then we would have more equality. Because if we were more equal with having all sorts of cultures and people from all over the world living in our schools equally, we would be much better people. Do you know what I mean by that? Yes, and I, I agree. Yeah, we would learn from each other. We would learn new things. Learn new cultures, new songs, new dance, new food, and we would try more things. And it would mean that we would have less people, I would hope, being mean because people are different, right? Different is good, different is interesting, different is awesome, right? Yes, thank you. Thank you, thank you for such a great question. I and, love your guys' questions. And good luck with the cancer. Uh, that is our last question from the floor. So we are going Gavin, to wrap this up. Well, Gavin, I interrupted you and it's so rude. But Gavin, I want to tell you, you are so lucky to be in my classroom. My goodness, Gavin. The kids in your classroom ask such great questions. I'm so happy for you, Gavin, to be in a class with kind kids, kids with great questions. Thank you, Gavin. Okay, go ahead. I want you to <laughs> Uh, that is our last question from the floor, so we are going to wrap up now. Is there anything else you wanted to say? No, Gavin, I just wanted to say that I'm so happy to be in your class. 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 I
Thank you for coming, Lisa. I hope you have an awesome rest of your day. We learned a lot about resource teaching. Uh, thank you to, to my classmates for the questions, and thank you, listeners. Have a great day. Stay tuned for the next episode. from you. Send your questions, show ideas, or any other feedback to talkingtoexperts at gmail.com.